This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. It's the show all about your animals and the animals around you. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Well, until just recently, this winter's been warmer than most uh, recent winters. So if you listen close enough, you can hear the sounds of frogs croaking in the night. But why do they call in the night sky? Can you tell what frog you have in your backyard just by its sound? No matter if you're an experienced herpetologist or just like Kermit the Frog from the Muppets, the show this morning will open your eyes to the world of our lily pad friends. Today, biologist Joe McGee is here to tell us about these leaping creatures, and Dr. Major is ready for your pet questions. So call with uh, a make a phone call to join our conversation. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 or you can email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Always remind you that if you miss Creature Comforts on a Thursday, it repeats every Saturday morning at 6. So good morning. Hope everyone's doing well this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Libby, do you have any events that you want to talk about? Let's see. Ocean Bound is the new exhibit, and it opens at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science this coming Saturday, day after tomorrow, January the 26th. It's one of the... Um, larger nationally traveling exhibits and this one lets you dive into underwater adventures and also teaches us about how our actions on earth or on land affect our oceans there's a 3d watershed model that you can play with and shift things around and see how land use changes makes a difference in uh, water flow and you get to this i'm I'm looking forward to you'll get to pilot a full-size submersible. Oh wow! So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> Although I remember with the the previous one, there was a thing where you were supposed to be the bat with echolocation, and it never did very well. So I have a feeling that if I try the submersible, <laughs> yeah. I might run it aground or something. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. I, I can remember the bat thing too. Yeah. I ran into the wall every time. Yeah. Uh, so, Doctor Major, as I mentioned, you know this winter's been kind of strange. Uh, been awfully wet, uh, but a little bit maybe a little bit warmer than uh, normal. But now, uh, here the last couple of days, it's uh, turned really pretty cold again. So, uh, again, maybe some reminders of uh, of the cold weather. And I guess when it kind of sneaks up on people, you maybe should be ready with a plan so that you can keep your pets uh, safeguarded. Sure, and you know most people are pretty aware. Uh, at the same time, food, shelter, water. Those are all important, and uh, obviously. But the uh, colder weather, they really require more calories, uh, whether it's a dog or a cat and uh, or other animals. And it really uh, means watching the food supply, making sure that the water is not frozen. Uh, and this goes for our bird friends as well, mm-hmm. uh, making sure that the water is not frozen, which is going to be pretty cold tonight, but then it should warm back up pretty good. Uh we do see some problems with the, I guess mud would be the best uh, thing to say, where you've got large dogs in the yard. A lot of times we can get some uh, fungal-type infections uh, because of that, where the uh, stay uh, stay in mud or at least create mud. Uh, when you've got large dogs, the yard doesn't uh, look too good this time of year. Uh 
But other than that, just providing uh, shelter and, and good warm habitat. We have a lot of people have clothes for their dogs, which is fine. Uh, and we see some pretty stunning outfits uh, that some of these dogs have. And these are the inside dogs that people are taking outside, of course. So, yes, be aware. And the other thing that I'll mention, which we always try to do, it's good to tap on your horn or raise the hood on your car when it's outside because cats notoriously will uh, seize that as an opportunity to get out of the weather and certainly can cause some very serious issues uh, if they get caught in, say, the fan belt or other parts of the car. Uh, in pet news, an item that our producer Java found uh, on January 19th, Boo, the social media famous Pomeranian, often dubbed the world's cutest dog, passed away. Uh, the 12-year-old pooch racked up millions of fans over the years on both Instagram and Facebook. Many fans leaving condolences, and one person even thanked Boo for helping them with their cancer fight by providing a cute escape. Uh, so, Dr. Major, it's almost, uh, for our pets, it almost seems sometimes like they have some kind of sixth sense or able to uh, sense when we're feeling ill uh, because they tend to be more around more, like they're an extra support system. You know, we could do a whole show on <clears throat> psychic pets or pets that know what we're thinking. Uh, they know uh, a lot of times. For example, if you're getting ready to take the cat to the vet, uh, it knows even if you don't have the carrier out, uh, you may have a hard time finding the cat. Uh, we've known dogs that know exactly when someone is coming home. Uh, even if they're flying in, uh, we've had dogs, uh, people tell us that the dog would sit there, uh, waiting, uh, at the door and they didn't even know when the person was coming back. So dogs are pretty, pretty psychic, not psychic, I guess, but they, they can sense a lot of things and certainly they can sense when we're not doing well, uh, in many cases and can, uh, dogs are trained, uh, from the standpoint of seizure dogs dogs that can sense when a seizure is coming on uh from their master uh diabetics uh they can sense that and know uh when they seek help do, do you think most of that comes from scent does our do we smell just slightly different I've... quite possibly uh the other thing uh let's say that you know there have been reports of dogs that uh know when somebody has a tumor or mm -hmm. cancer and yeah. there may be a change in the metabolism and or scent and then even on our scarier side is the cat in the nursing home that always knew when somebody was about to pass away uh you didn't want that cat coming to your room <laughs> coming to your room because it was a predictor apparently in many cases that someone was about to pass and I wonder too if maybe <clears throat> like the because you mentioned uh, the vet and and I've talked about this on the air before that and and when I'm going to give my cat his flea medicine he knows <laughs> and I wonder if it's also maybe slight changes in our behavior anxiousness or whatever little things that maybe other humans aren't picking up on but again our pets are able to sense those little differences and and act or respond accordingly. I know I have a cat that I have to give laxatone, which is uh, for hairballs primarily. And uh, I have to kind of play it cool. I don't fix it up before I grab her. And she's really a very calm cat, but she knows if I've she knows if I prepared it ahead of time, and she's ready. She she's gonna hide somewhere. 
So we're going to be visiting uh, today with biologist Joe McGee talking about frogs. If you have a frog question, a pet question, or a brush with wildlife you'd like to share with us, the phone lines are open. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. Uh, you can email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. So, Joe, always good to have you on the show. Welcome back. Good to see you again. Good. Good to be here. Uh, let me ask you the same sort of question, you know, the way the the, the weather has been kind of up and down. Um, and I guess are frogs good at kind of knowing it's warmer, but then when it gets colder, we need to do whatever we need to do to stay warm? Yes, I think so. This has been a mild winter, I would say, mild and wet. But we have had these intermittent cold spells like we're having now. And just the temperature tells them we can't, we can't function tonight. Tonight will not be a good night to listen for frogs, I would think. A few spring peepers may be chirping early, you know, right around sunset, sundown. But then I don't think they'll call for long tonight uh, because it is going to be cold. It's just a temperature thing with them, I think. And they sense uh, humidity uh, when it's nice and warm and humid. It's a good time for them to, to function, to sing and attract a mate. So what are what are some typical places where frogs would go when the weather does get cold? Where do they go to, to stay out of the cold? That's a good question. Uh, the spring peepers and others that are singing this time of year will hunker down under leaf li- in and under leaf litter or in a burrow in the soil, perhaps, or even in the mud under the water, uh, under thatch, you know, grass that's been cut and formed a, a, a nice thatch. But they have another little trick up their sleeve. Uh, when the temperature gets to freezing or below, s- some of these frogs can produce antifreeze. Hmm. The spring peepers can do this. They they can convert uh, glycogen. If you remember from high school biology, glycogen was animal starch. Isn't that right, Dr. Major? It was called animal starch. <laughs> it's essentially a starch. And they can convert that to glucose, which functions as an antifreeze. Antifreeze lowers the freezing point of water. And so they they um, will generate antifreeze. I'm, some may have to do that tonight if it drops down in the 20s. Uh, some of the frogs generate uh, glycerol instead of glucose, and some generate both. But they're able to to make antifreeze to keep to protect them from freezing. Also, uh, as we go to break, that is, uh, did you remind me of something that we've uh, gave it, given us a suggestion before? And that is, if you don't mind uh, your yard having some leaf litter or some you know grasses or whatever piled up, it is uh, not only for frogs but other creatures uh, can use that to kind of stay out of the cold when it gets to be a cold temperature. So if you don't mind, uh, maybe not your your yard not looking immaculately clipped or whatever for the winter season, uh, it helps uh, some of the creatures that are out there uh, sharing uh, the earth with us. We're going to take a break. We'll we continue our discussion about frogs after the break. Uh, if you have any questions for our wildlife biologist, Joe McGee, or if you have a pet question for Dr. Major, you can give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 So during the break, it's time to name that frog. See if you can identify the frog by its call. You'll hear the call, and then we'll give you the answer after the break. So listen closely and stay tuned.
Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. And today in studio, we have Joe McGee, a biologist. We're talking about all things frogs, but also looking for your pet questions as well. And if you've had a brush with wildlife that you want to share with us, give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464, email the show, animals at mpbonline.org. So uh, before the break, uh, or during the break, actually, we played the frog sound. Java, can we cue that up and give them one more shot at it? And, uh, Joe, you mentioned that uh, for folks that go out and try to record uh, nature sounds, a lot of times it's difficult to isolate just one thing, one creature, one type of frog. And you were telling us that's kind of a twofer on this one. Yeah, the first sound uh, clip we heard uh, during the break was spring peepers and southern leopard frogs. Now, the one we just heard must have been the tail end of that was just the peepers. In fact, it sounded like maybe just one or two peepers calling but that's right you go out and to record i was i actually recorded some spring peepers the other night with my phone and i got a barred owl on there as well it's, you never know it's always an adventure and i might mention this often when i'm out hearing listening for frogs i'll hear something mysterious i have no idea a splash in the water like a loud splash this is not a plop of a frog going in i assume it's a raccoon or a, a mink or a, a, an otter even perhaps uh so I highly suggest uh, if you think you might like that sort of thing, go out and take your phone with you and record what you hear. Yeah, and you know, and again, I think maybe it's uh, when you're recording and you might not realize it, and then when you go back and listen, you'll think, "Aha, that's what that was in the background or whatever." Yeah. The other interesting uh, point that you made uh, during the break was that uh, not all peepers sing exactly the same way. That's right. Uh, if you can get close to a chorus of peepers calling, you can pick out individual singing. And some of them are very melodic, I find, uh, almost like a, a bird chirping. Uh, they're not all saying the same thing, and they go at a different rhythm. When it's off in the distance, it, it tends to have a cacophonous effect. You, you don't really hear individual uh, peepers singing. But close up, you can pick out individuals, and it's, it's really quite pretty, quite melodic. Uh, so here we are, the tail end of January, um, and so I guess, are, are all frogs that we find in Mississippi active this time of year, or is it too cold for some, some are a little more hardy? Too cold for some. Uh, they're out there, obviously. I mean, they they will appear when the weather warms up, but something like a green tree frog, you're not going to hear them singing tonight, I can assure you. In fact, you may not hear anything singing tonight. It's going to be pretty cold, even for the cool weather species, but... Frogs like uh, spring peepers, upland chorus frogs, southern leopard frogs, this is the time of year for them to to breed, to mate. In fact, southern leopard frogs, uh, they are somewhat uh, responsive to weather, uh, rain events. I have heard southern leopard frogs in August have gotten up to, listen, to look for the Perseid meteor showers, got outside, found out I needed a, a shirt. It was kind of cool. I finally had to move through. We'd be out looking for the meteors and would hear southern leopard frogs uh, in August. But it was, you know, in the 60s, the temperature dropped Mm -hmm. to the 60s and it had rained previously. So uh, it just depends on the species, but some you will not hear until it really gets warm. When you hear green tree frogs singing, the weather in late April, mid to late April, say, in central Mississippi, it has definitely uh, warmed up and uh, summer's on the way. 
<laughs> uh, we are visiting today with uh, biologist Joe McGee. We're talking about frogs. Dr. Major's here as well, ready for some pet questions. So give us a call. We've got some open phone lines at one eight seven seven MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline dot org. Uh, before we go to the phones, Joe, just another quick question: Does size of the frog have anything to do with their hardiness? I don't I don't honestly know, but I don't think so because uh, spring peepers are tiny, an inch, a little over an inch long, perhaps. Whereas a southern leopard frog is three and a half, four inches long, maybe. Uh, so it's one of our larger frogs. Uh, so I, I, I don't I, I can't really answer that question for sure. Except we've and then the the upland coarse frogs are a little bit in between. They're a little bit larger than spring peepers. So we have all size. Uh, sizes calling this time of year, uh, and then now in the summer, bullfrogs, our largest frog, will be calling, or you know, when the weather warms up. And and they are very long lived. I don't know if that's, mm-hmm. of course, something could be hardy and still have a short lifespan. I guess. Yeah, and but. there's a tiny one that calls, and when the weather warms up, especially in South Mississippi, the little pine woods tree frogs. So I'm not sure about size and hardiness uh, with the frogs. Okay. But the little ones do certainly get out in the cold, like those little peepers. They're mm, usually yes. the first thing, aren't they? Oh, yeah. In fact, it's the other way with them. That I'm not sure they can take the heat that well. You hardly ever encounter one when it's really hot. They apparently uh, are boreal, get up in the trees maybe. I'm not sure where they are. I've never seen one in June, July, or August. You know, that is something we can talk about more. I always like for us to explain the fact that when you're a, a, a little thing that's got to stay moist all the time, it's more important that it's wet than it is that it's cold. So I think what they're responding to is more they need to get out there and find their mates while it's wet. Yes. when it's dry, they've got to hunker down. They can hide. desiccate. Yeah. Tree, and tree frogs are probably hiding. Uh, remember the brown rat snake? Don't they eat a lot of tree frogs? Wasn't that one of their favorite? Uh... I'm know. not sure about that. Uh, I may be wrong about that. I thought somebody uh, said that. I, the rat snakes will probably eat anything they see moving in front of them <laughs> if they're if they're not digesting something they've previously eaten. <laughs> uh, but I, I don't know. I can't yeah. say for sure that rat snakes prey on. Uh, I'm sure they have and can, but I'm not sure that's their favorite food item. It would make sense because they can climb trees so right, well too. Right. I've seen a black racer catch and consume a. Uh, Leopard frog, southern leopard frog, up at the Audubon Nature Center mm-hmm. one time. That was an interesting uh, experience. The leopard frogs were calling in September. The Hummingbird Festival is always after um, Labor Day. It's in September. But uh, there had been a rain event from a tropical storm that moved through, so the leopard frogs were singing. And I had one group on, on a nature walk, and it all happened so fast we hardly knew what was happening. The frogs were singing. All of a sudden we heard a distress call, and we saw this black racer catch the the poor leopard frog i'm being anthropomorphic here and then it disappeared into the vegetation and we didn't see it we didn't see anything anymore yeah. uh we've got to call some calls to get to so let's uh start off by going to kevin in hattiesburg kevin you're on the air with us thanks for calling hi thank you for taking the call um two things first is a comment on cats and kids um I've always found that if they know it's coming, they get resigned to it. When when my kids were young, and they'd say, you know, uh, does it taste bad? And I'd tell them, yeah, it tastes awful, but you got to take it anyway. <laughs> um, and, and 
with cats, I tell them, you know, it's time to get your claws clipped or it's time for the flea stuff, and they kind of hunker down and they're like, oh, God, all right. But <laughs> they take it. Um, second, I grew up in Michigan. There is nothing like the the diversity of reptiles and amphibians in Michigan as there is down here. Um, I hear all kinds of calls. There's one that I've yet to identify that goes that basically sounds like a gong in uh, late spring, early summer. Boom, something like that. Um, and there's one that I saw two years ago in my backyard, maybe an inch and a half long, brown, kind of uh, holds itself kind of flattish and has a long nose. And, and, I, and what's the size of that one with the long nose? Um, it wasn't too big. He was maybe an inch, mm-hmm. an inch and a half. Was it under mulch or something? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think you had seen, found and seen a uh, eastern narrowmouth toad. Go go online and look that up and see if uh, that's what you didn't find. Neat, neat little frog to find in your yard. Uh, we keep our yard kind of wild, just for mm-hmm. this habitat. We get all kinds of turtles and mm-hmm. frogs and stuff. Uh-huh. Uh huh. What was the other frog you mentioned? Oh, the one that sounded like a gong. Yeah. Uh, one of two things comes to mind. I think that may be a barking tree frog. If it's not the barking tree frog, it could be the green tree frog. What do you think, Libby? Which one is it? Yeah, I, I would think that it's that bark because mm-hmm. it is kind of a, a wonk, wonk, wonk. Yeah, I, I can't really make that sound. But, yeah. uh, you can go online and get the sounds of these frogs as well and see if, see which one you think it is. And you heard that in hot weather, right, or warm weather. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. warm-headed for hot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could have been either one, green tree frog or barking tree frog, or what come to mind with me. And the fact that you noticed it uh, tells me it might have been the barking tree frog. You, it, if they are calling and they are around, uh, you really, you will notice it. <laughs> All right, uh, Kevin, thanks uh, for calling in this morning. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're looking for your call as well if you're listening this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can email the show as well. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Dr. Majors here, always ready for pet questions. We're visiting today with Joe McGee, a biologist who is our resident frog expert. Uh, we move on with our phone lines. Next, uh, our friend Kathleen from Osaka. Good morning, Kathleen. Hi, guys. Uh, better today than it has been. At least I see that <laughs> void up there, a little bit of light up in the sky. Um <laughs> I wanted to tell you, Kevin, I no sooner hung up from the show last week when I was listening to y'all. About two hours later, a neighbor called me. She said, you know, we've had a lot of hogs and wild pigs appear. And I went, oh, no, that's my deer's enemy, you know. <laughs> so I, I talked to a few people about it and found out, yep, they're about, uh, I'd say, 8 to 10 miles north of here. So I'm going to kind of ask one, does... Are there any that you've recorded out here with that deer wasting disease? And this is in uh, right around Liberty. No, so far they have not found one that far south in Mississippi. It's okay. not to say well, they're not there, but there's not one of the same. And you might encourage people to, if they're hunters, to to turn samples in so that they can yeah. be checked. So you'll know. And then I have a, another question involving frogs. Um, of course, I was in New Orleans then, and when we had broken little clay pots, we would 
continue to break them in half if we they were sort of broke, and we'd lay them on their side. It looked like a little mini amphitheater. And I was wondering, was I doing the right thing, or should I not do that? It, it, the frogs would love it up in there, especially little frogs and stuff like that. But it's like I was wondering if it didn't put a target on their back. I don't think you're hurting anything. You're, you're essentially creating a frog or toad house or toad, right. ho- toad hall, we might say. I, I think that's quite all right if you sort of uh, put those pieces of flower pots in among the leaves under a shrub where it's st- it'll yeah. stay moist. Yeah. Uh, in fact, you can squirt it with a hose in really hot, dry weather and keep it kind of moist, and you might have a, a toad to take residence there. Uh, I don't think you're... Oh, I, I've got some toads. Yeah, I don't I think you're so hurting anything. Mm-hmm. I don't think you're hurting anything by doing... I don't see any harm in that. Okay. Uh, and I did see several types of that pointed little frog that's about an inch, inch and a half. Yes. One had, like, rusty stripes down yeah. the side. Yes, and yes. One, one looked like a mottled black, white, and gray. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, one was sort of greenish. But I've seen several varieties of that kind of frog. Yeah, head. that's the eastern narrowmouth toad. And there is a lot of variation in the color and the pattern on the on these frogs or these toads. Okay. Uh, no two seem to be just alike. Some of them are almost a brick red color. Right, right. Uh, really, with some black markings. They're really pretty little animals and have a really neat call. Sounds like a sheep blading in the distance. But you won't hear that until, it, until it's warm. They, they don't call this time of year. Okay, thank you so much. And I enjoy the show about the frogs. Okay, um, all right. Good. Thank you so much. Thanks, Kathleen. Good to hear from you. Uh, it's time to take another break. Uh, when we get back, we'll continue with uh, our discussion about frogs with our guest Joe McGee and Dr. Major, ready for some pet questions. Call with questions and comments. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 Phone lines are open, so give us a call or email us animals at mpbonline.org. During the break, uh, try to guess the frog sound. We're going to play another one to listen to, and we'll identify it after the break. So listen closely and stay tuned. to a radio? Well, don't worry. MPB Think and Music Radio are available online and on our MPB public media app. It's simple. Just log on to our website at mpbonline.org to get started. This is MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Uh, Joe McGee is a biologist who's here to help us uh, learn about frogs. And Libby Hartfield is the retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. We are talking about frogs today and looking for pet questions and also any kind of brushes with wildlife that you'd like to share with us. Uh, before or d- During the break, we played another frog sound. So, Job, if you could cue it up for us again, we'll listen to it. Sorry, sometimes I'm... There we go. Now, on this one, Joe, I I gave it a new name. I want to call it the Chuckling Frog. 
uh, because it sounds like someone giggling or, or chuckling. But what, what frog are we listening to there? That's not a bad name for it, actually, but it's the southern leopard frog. Okay. The southern leopard frog. There's a northern leopard frog, a southern leopard frog. And actually, there's a new species of leopard frog recently found a few years ago. I'm not sure it's even been named. It was found on Staten Island. Mm-hmm. So maybe they'll call it the Staten Island leopard <laughs> frog. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, that's, a, that's one of our most beautiful frogs, I think. And we would possibly hear them this time of year? Yes, you can only, uh, maybe not tonight, maybe mm-hmm. a little cold tonight, but yeah, they'll call in, down into the upper 30s All right, uh, and laying their eggs this time of year. All right, well, that brings up a, a, a good question then. So uh, cold weather, does it uh, damage or do any harm to frog eggs? It can. That's something I uh, communicated with Tom Mann about. Tom is the uh, zoologist at the Museum of Natural Science. And he's out a lot and observes a lot of frogs and frog eggs and salamander eggs. And I was curious about that. And he says, yes, he has photographs of masses of frog eggs that have been, obviously, they experience a freeze and then it thawed out and they become white. If you find a healthy mass of frog eggs, the eggs themselves are little black circles or little black spheres, I guess. That's the embryo, actually. And if they're alive, they'll be black. If, they've, if they're dead, non-viable anymore, they turn white. And eventually uh, a fungus will uh, grow on them. And so they, uh, a freeze can kill the, the masses of eggs. It's, it's always touch and go with natural out in the natural world. You know, birds' nests frequently blown down by storms. Mm-hmm. With the frogs and uh, the chorus frogs, they can experience um, a freeze that will, that will kill the eggs. Another thing that, can, that Tom mentioned that uh, can happen to frog eggs, they often and usually attach their, egg, their mass of eggs to a, a plant stem or a leaf or some, some sort of uh, aquatic plant. And if the water level should drop... The eggs stay put, and they will desiccate. They can, you know, that's even worse or maybe as bad as freezing. He also mentioned to me that sometimes the eggs on the bottom of a mass uh, will be okay when those on top will have frozen, and they're white, and the ones underneath are, are still black and viable. Which I guess means it's good that they lay so many. Mo- and repeatedly. Nearly all. Yeah, and repeatedly. Frogs yes. lay a lot of eggs. Uh, yeah, in the more thousands. Than yeah. In, yeah. yeah. Well, it's great food. Everything eats <laughs> Everything frog eats the frog eggs, and everything yeah. eats the tadpoles, even insects. The, the dragonfly uh, hmm. naiads, the immature dragonflies mm-hmm. that are swimming around in the water, will eat the little tadpoles. Yeah. We're going to talk about ta- um, dragonflies next week, in fact. All right. Uh, back to the phone lines we go. We'll say good morning next to Bill calling in from uh, Greenville. Good morning, Bill. Go ahead. You're on the air with us. Oh, well, how y'all doing? Uh, I used to see uh, several years ago the little green tr- uh, tree frogs all on my windows. I don't know more. And uh, I used to see the uh, little common toads. There'd be so many of them. I'd, when I'd pull up the driveway at night, I'd get out of my car and make sure I didn't run over none. But I hadn't seen them for several years. And the only frog that I've seen here is, uh, uh, in the summertime, is a little teeny brown frog. Uh, and they seem to be, uh, they make this sound go wee, wee, when it rains a lot. But other than that, what happened to the toads? Hard to say. Uh, frogs all over the planet are uh, in trouble in some ways. 
And if you've made changes in your yard or in your neighborhood, is has anything changed that you know of? Not really, no, ma'am. But I was there, wondering, what, what is that frog that goes wing? That what kind of frog is that? I think that's the one we've already mentioned a couple of times. I it's I think it's the eastern narrowmouth toad that you're referring to. It goes. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're actually hard to see when they're calling. They they call from little rain pools and are difficult to see. But uh, and you you're still seeing a lot of those. Uh, yes, I do. See In the summer, not those. not not now. Yeah, you know when it's when it's we had a lot of rain. Yes, yeah, yeah. Warm. Yeah, but, but the, the toads and the tree frogs, I haven't seen them. The, the tree frogs you mentioned on your windows, those are either green tree frogs or squirrel tree frogs. They're, they're both green, and I'm not sure you know which you're seeing. Maybe both. You could be seeing both. And I don't know how to explain what happened. Or do you check between your screens and your window? Do you have window screens? Yes, uh-huh. Squirrel tree frogs are notorious for getting in between the screen and the window, and they can't get out. So from well, ta- you know, we have had a lot of trees cut around here. Uh oh. That yeah, that's that what I was saying. Here? If yeah, if you've changed habitat or using a lot of pesticide, that will definitely wipe them yes, out. You know, that, yeah, that old airplane comes over here all the time. Uh oh. Yeah. They yeah, yeah. These frogs and tree frogs and all toads feed primarily on insects, insects and other invertebrates. And if you're killing the Insects are killing their food, possibly. I mean, it's it's a you know it's a possibility. Yeah, usually habitat changes is what you can go back to. They, you, everybody needs a home, yeah. as we say, and they yeah. they've got to have uh, you know a, a clean habitat, a pollution free habitat. Before the program began, Doctor Major mentioned he has a there's a depression near his uh, clinic, and it fills with water this time of year, and he has the spring peepers calling there. That's just an example of. Leaving habitat alone, I assume you're not going to put a parking lot in there. No, <laughs> no. And so uh, if, if you've had a big change at your place, that could explain why these, these tree frogs have disappeared. They've lost their habitat. Oh, it's interesting. You know, in the spring, a little bit later, uh, there will be some, some gravel uh, pools back in the back, not where the frogs are, but there will be all these uh, tadpoles, and everybody goes out and watches the tadpoles mm-hmm. as they mature. Have you ever had those to dry up? Those pools, those the gravel pools? They will, yeah. When I was little, we used to find the pools that had the toad tadpoles in them, and they would be drying up. The tadpoles would all be concentrated in one little area, place. and we would take them. We hit to show Move mercy them. on We would take them and put them in the creek, which was probably the worst thing we could have done because we <laughs> well, dropped them in the creek. They became food, fish food. Yeah. They experienced thermal shock probably when we dropped them in the cool water and then got eaten by something. But we were, our heart was in the right place. I think some of the people at the clinic have moved them to bigger pools when they start to dry What might out. be better would be to add water, not tap not chlorinated yeah. water but just add some pond water to the and keep keep the water level up right. that's that's neat that you have those there right. though yeah. yeah what they really need is a place where there aren't fish that's, yeah you know that's that's their their number one enemy is fish yeah. so if you can put them somewhere that's got a little more water but doesn't have fish living in it they'll do better mm-hmm. so bell i think you had one final question for us oh yeah oh oh yes is there anything that you can do about the pesticides i know they they have to spray the cotton crop, but is, I mean, is there anything you can do about it or regulate it or something? Oh, boy. <laughs> they, I think they they pretty are, much are regulated. Just, um, you know, if you can decide what you want to do on your own property. 
Everybody gets to decide what they're going to do pretty much on their own property within the law. So if you if you use less stuff where you are, you may become a little refuge, and they may move on to your yeah. property. I might mention, Please. Bill, are you a joiner? Do you join organizations? Uh, no. <laughs> not, not, like not really. Huh? <laughs> Uh, you might consider joining the Xerxes Society, X-E-R-C-E-S. They have a lot of ideas about dealing with pesticides and the environment. So uh, yeah. go, you can go online and find, you know, get information about joining their their organization. Uh, it, the, the pesticide thing is a toughie. It's, uh, I don't know what to say, really. It's yeah. All right, uh, Bill, thanks for your call. Uh, this is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Uh, now, Java, I think, uh, mentioned that he found the call of the... The brown long nosed toad, which I can't remember the that name of the Eastern, we- Eastern narrow mouth toad. Narrow mouth. Right. Yeah. yeah, the Eastern narrow mouth toad. Uh, here we go. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> but not now. <laughs> this is not the time of year for it. And those are green tree frogs calling in the background. That's a. <laughs> What's, what's, not to like? <laughs> what's not to like? What's not to like? All right. Yeah. That is an interesting one for sure. Uh, you're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We've got some open phone lines if you want to join in on our discussion about frogs. Our guest today is Joe McGee, a biologist, is a frequent guest on the show. Always like to have Joe in with us. Give us a call if you want to join the conversation. It's one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. You can email the show animals at mpbonline.org. Dr. Major here ready to take a pet question as well. Before we go to our next break, why don't we invite uh, Dudley from Calhoun County on the line with us. Good morning, Dudley. Go ahead. Uh, I have kind of a dumb question, I guess, to ask, but I have a, a small pond in the back of my house, and it dries up for about four months every year. But then when it begins to fill up, the frogs return. How how do they? Well, can you explain that <laughs> to me? Yeah, that's what we call an ephemeral pond, and that's what they love. Yeah, because you yeah. don't have any fish in that pond. That's good for the frogs. I'm not a hundred percent sure how they find it, but it's my understanding that turtles, you know, can, can do the same thing, and they can see uh, polarized light. So maybe the frogs can, too. I, I don't honestly know, though. That's just a, a guess, sort of and, an educated guess. And if there's any moisture left there, it's possible that there were eggs still around, I guess, in the in the ground. Yeah, I don't think they would survive. Those tadpoles, the eggs and tadpoles need to be yeah. in water, actually a volume of water to... Um, so they're going to have to. What's happening is the the adults are moving over there and laying the eggs. Mm-hmm. Do you know what kind of frogs come back? Are you have an educated guess? Uh, I really don't because it's quite an orchestration. Yeah, uh, they get going, and I noticed that uh, it was last week uh, they began to start, and I thought this is unusual. But the temperature had moved up to about seventy degrees that day. You've probably, uh, I, I suspect you've got spring peepers. And if we could get Java to play Upland Chorus Frog, you might have, that's a neat one. Uh, actually, you live in Greenwood? Uh, Calhoun County. No, I live oh, in I'm sorry. I, yeah, uh, Calhoun. Uh, yeah, you could have Upland Chorus Frogs. Uh, uh, there's some large, 
larger lakes around, but uh, it's just amazing what a a group of frogs that come back after the pond has That been shows you how important a source of water is for them. Frogs, you know, they're pretty terrestrial. Once they become adult frogs, once you know, as the tad, in the tadpole stage, they live an almost fish-like existence. They've got to stay in the water. But once they grow those legs and lose that tail and lose the gills, then they spend a lot of time on land. I sometimes find leopard frogs in my yard, and there's not a, re, you know, a pond nearby, but there they are traveling over land apparently. So um, it's not totally surprising. Those frogs go somewhere where it's moist and hang out until your pond refills. All right, Dudley, thanks for calling in this morning. Let's take one final break this hour. Today we are visiting with biologist Joe McGee. We're learning about frogs. Dr. Major here ready to take some pet questions as well. We've got some open phone lines if you'd like to join in on our conversation. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. You can email the show. It's animals at mpbonline.org. And one last opportunity this hour to see if you can identify a frog call. We'll have that answer after the break, so listen close and stay tuned. Back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Libby Hartfeld is retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. And today we're visiting with our resident frog expert. It's biologist Joe McGee. So before or during the break, we heard the last frog call we were going to try to identify this morning. So, Job, if you could give it to us again. So, so Joe, Joe, help us out there. What are, what are we hearing? We're hearing, right now, we're hearing a, a large chorus of upland chorus frogs. At the beginning, it was just two or three calling. But this is the upland chorus frog, another one that calls during the cool weather. Uh, I heard some between Christmas and New Year's this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, once again, they won't be calling tonight, I don't think. It's, but it's, I, I heard them in the afternoon on Tuesday. Of this week, yes, yeah, it, it was warmer, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. that on was the a Pearl good, River, yeah, yeah, that was a good time for to listen for frogs, yeah. and that one to me sounds almost like running your fingers down the a comb, yeah, that's a good a mm-hmm. good description of it. All right, so I'm renaming all these frogs. That's the comb frog. Now. That's good. That's good. <laughs> well, chorus comb, leopards laugh. That's right. <laughs> narrow mouth toads do not seem like they have a narrow mouth. Do they? They got a loud. Buzzer. Yes, the the buzzer frog. See, yeah. we're 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 on yeah. a roll here. I want to get some of these frog sounds for my uh, di- uh oh your phone on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> Back uh, to the phone lines we go. Let's start in Biloxi. Craig has called in this morning. Go ahead, Craig. You're on the air with us. Yeah. Good morning. I I was wondering from the frog man if uh, he puts any stock in the fact in in the old fables that fro- it was raining frogs or frogs fell from the sky. I know it's not going to rain cats and dogs. 
not too often. I suppose a tornado could pick up some and deposit them elsewhere. Uh, strange things have been deposited. It's, it's not something routine, but I, it has probably happened. I would uh, I would not just discount that, uh, you know, out of hand. There's yeah, that a re- or a flock of birds, maybe. Yeah. There's a recorded record in the eight, late 1800s of a frozen tortoise that fell from the sky over hmm. at Bovana. That's interesting to know. Really? Yeah. What a tidbit. <laughs> thought you might be interested. Yeah. And it was related to a big storm. Yeah. 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 Hmm. It can happen. Yeah. I think you're right. It can I've happen. I've always heard that it could. So. All right, Craig, appreciate your call. Thanks uh, for joining the conversation this morning. Uh, let's move on. Next, we're going to visit with uh, Catherine in Oxford. Catherine, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Hi there. Um, I wanted to ask Dr. Majors what he would recommend uh, the best way to uh, potty train a two- to three-year-old rescue dog. Okay, this has a certain degree of what complexity simply because we don't know how the dog was handled prior to you getting it. Uh, how, right. are you, how What are you doing now as far as trying to train the dog? Well, I'm, I'm getting him today. He's a okay. little Maltese mix. Okay. And he, um, he, I think that he mainly just hikes his little leg when he's in a new place. Right, and, and this can be a, a, right. It can be an issue. Uh, um, I guess he's been neutered probably since you're adopting him. Uh, here's the thing. You need to confine him to a certain area of the house rather than let him have free run. Until you can see, I would encourage him to go outside uh, to go. But this gets to be a habit in a lot of the dogs, the male dogs especially. They like to mark their territory on anything that's upright, uh, maybe even including somebody's leg. But they have been, uh, you can really work with him. The other thing would be to try to crate train using a crate. You can go online and and see uh, things about that. But... uh, to tell you that uh, this is going to be easy, if it's a habit and he's been doing this for a long time, it may be hard to break that cycle. Keep him, keep him in a certain area of the house, though, before you start letting him uh, go over the house, especially if you have carpet anywhere. Uh, and I would suggest uh, just really researching it, and there may be somebody in your area that can help you uh, from the standpoint of retraining him. All right, Catherine, thanks for your call. Uh, we have time for one more call, but before that, Libby, you had one other event that you wanted to mention oh, for us. Oh, I was us. just going to mention that at 2.30 this afternoon in Raymond, Mississippi, at the Raymond Lake Lodge, Fanny Cook is going to do one of her performances if okay. anybody would like to come. All right, very good. So we'll wrap things up visiting with our friend Sue in Beaumont. Sue, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Morning. I wanted to ask, uh, I saw once on National Geographic where a frog was, the camera watches a frog thawed out and hopped away. So they have some kind of natural antifreeze is what the program was kind of was suggesting. But how far north do frogs go? Are there any in, in the tundra, I mean, in the Arctic? Yes. Uh, really? There's a species. It does not occur in Mississippi, but there's a frog called a wood frog, Arena sylvatica, and it occurs uh, above the Arctic Circle. That's amazing. And it's one of the ones that... Uh, Uses makes anti, makes its own antifreeze. The mm-hmm. wood frog. It'd be interesting. It occurs in the south. It occurs in the mountains of Tennessee, North Carolina, Virginia. Has a, a wide range. But yeah, north of the um, Arctic Circle, and there's a couple in Siberia. I don't know the name. I forget the names of them. But uh, yeah, they they can stand some really cold conditions. 
All right, uh, Sue, thanks for your call. I think we do have time for one last call. Uh, Billy is on the line from Oxford. Billy, we are a little bit pressed for time, so if you could be brief. Okay. It's a dragonfly question. I've always heard that dragonflies help control uh, horseflies. Is that true, and how do they do it? Yeah, it is true. They do it in two ways. Both dragonflies and horseflies begin their life in the water. And so the naiads, the immature dragonflies, can eat the maggot, if you will, of the horseflies. Then when they both emerge as adults and are flying around, the dragonflies can definitely catch them. Uh, They are, you know, they have huge eyes or, yeah, compound eyes. They, They see things flying. They detect their prey visually. They can definitely catch horseflies. How much control they do over them is another thing. But, but yeah, they can eat horseflies for sure. Right. And, and next week our show is all about dragonflies. Thank you, Billy. All right. <laughs> Thanks for the call, Billy. And as Libby mentioned, we'll be delving more into dragonflies next week on the program. And as always, Dr. Major will be with us to answer your pet question. So uh, something to look forward to. By the way, if you ever miss part of a show and want to go back and listen to it again, you can go to mpbonline.org slash creature comforts or subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcast app on your smartphone. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting, Think Radio. To hear today's show or previous show, as I mentioned, go to mpbonline.org slash Creature Comforts. Our show is produced each week by Java Chapman, and our call screener is Michelle McAdoo. So for Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest Joe McGee, I'm Kevin Farrell. Inviting you to stay tuned. Up next at 10, it's AutoCorrect with the lady auto mechanic, Allison Walker. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio. Jeremy Hobson, Florida's new Republican Governor Ron DeSantis has taken some surprising steps, reversing course from Governor Rick Scott on climate change. We're also going to do things such as, you know, within DEP, make sure that we have a chief science officer so that we have the most up-to-date sound science at our fingertips. That's next time on Here and Now. Today at noon on MVB Think Radio.